everybody, and welcome to another episode of SNESCAPADES, the chronological journey of every Super Nintendo game released in North America, four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that's pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. And I'm Emmy Zero. And today we've got an exciting episode for you guys. We've got some good games, we got some bad games, we got interesting stuff to talk about with pretty much all of them. Emmy, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I think that this is going to be a really interesting one. Like you said, we have a vast mix of games in terms of quality and genre. I think today is the first time we are really reckoning with a game that is not great. And that's interesting in a different way. I I think that we'll have, like you said, some interesting stuff to say. I know there's some interesting history behind all of these games. And I think this is going to be kind of a fascinating mix to sift through here. Yeah, we're going to be diving into a lot of history in this episode, which I'm looking forward to. A lot of stuff that dates back to the 80s. So we're going to be talking about the 80s a lot. You guys are going to think this is like the 80s show starring Glenn Howerton. Wow, I remember that. Amazing. That lasted for what, like five episodes? episodes yeah something like that i'm sure yeah without further ado let's uh let's dive into our first game for today let's let's strap into our fighter jets and talk about this really interesting scrolling shooter let's take off with a really cool mode 7 opening title sequence and let's talk about UN squadron or as it was known in Japan area 88 this was developed by and published by Capcom this is another arcade port and it is another arcade port that loses its two-player co-op unfortunately however in this case it gains some stuff that basically makes this a very different game, and a really good game, I think. You know, there's a way to do a single-player home version of a two-player arcade game and not make it feel like you've just sort of cut out the heart of the game, and that's what they've done here. Absolutely, although I also think that this comes down a lot to genre. Yes, that's true. I think that a shooter doesn't need two-player co-op nearly as badly as a brawler does. No. Really, I don't think this game suffers at all from the lack of that. It would have been cool to have, but it's far from necessary. I would agree, yeah. It's it's absolutely not something that you feel the lack of here when you're playing the game, though. So, do you want to talk a little bit about Area 88 and about what this game is? Yeah, first of all, this is a port of an arcade game, like we said, that was released back in the 80s, specifically Woo! 1989. <laughs> this was based on a manga series that ran from 1979 to 1986. It's been adapted into... A, film trilogy and a TV series and all sorts of other things. It revolves around a mercenary air force and the main character, uh, Shin Kazama, who's one of the selectable characters in the game, has been duped into signing a contract and is now being forced to work basically as an indentured servant for this mercenary group. And he either needs to work until his contract expires or until he's made enough money as a mercenary to buy himself out of the contract. It actually sounds kind of like an interesting premise. It does, yeah. And I mean, the game has a really interesting aesthetic and tone to it. It's, it's, the, the feel of it is sort of like near future military, you know, kind of the same sort of thing you'd have in like the Ace Combat games. Yeah. Or, or even Gundam, but all of the robots are fighter jets instead, kind mm-hmm. of. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and it's really fun. It's a really, really cool mix of stuff. And so I, I have a question for you. Do you think the fact that Shin is not there by choice and doesn't really want want to be there 
accounts for the fact that he is the worst character to play as. <laughs> well, no, I don't think that's it. Because in the manga, Shin is actually a pretty renowned fighter pilot. And that's uh-huh. maybe that has to do with why he was wanted by this group in the first place. Or I, I, uh-huh. I don't actually know the series all that well. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's he's supposed to be kind of like your, your standard character. He's the Mario or the Ryu of the game. Yeah, right. Right, the one that doesn't have really uh, extreme benefits or weaknesses to playing as him, just kind of the baseline where everything kind of just works the way that you expect it to. And he's fine, but when I'm playing this game, I certainly would prefer to play as one of the other two pilots who do have some slightly different stuff going on. And that's one of the things that's interesting about this game is that when you select one of the three pilots at the beginning, uh, it does give you a little rundown of what the benefits of playing them are. So Shen uh, is sort of an all-arounder. Mickey is, you know, better at handling a bunch of different kinds of weapons. And Greg is much more able to take damage. Well, I guess everybody uses the same ships, but he is able to... Uh, survive a little better, right? Yes. You just mentioned that everybody uses the same planes. In the arcade game, each pilot was attached to uh, a specific plane. That's not the case in the Super Nintendo version. Each pilot starts with the same plane, but you can buy different planes as you make money from your mercenary work. I think it's cool that the game leans further into that mercenary idea. Yeah. You're earning money by doing well in the levels that you can then use to buy better planes, buy additional weapons, which you can do that as well in the arcade game, but your selection's more limited. But in the, the Super Nintendo version, it's kind of all about that. It's You go back into the shop menu between levels and buy additional weapons and you can select a different plane you can buy different planes there yeah so the one thing that comes specific to the pilots in the super nintendo version is what we alluded to earlier their special abilities uh like greg gates for example can take a little bit more damage well not necessarily take a bit more damage um that actually leads to another kind of interesting way in which the game works so unlike a lot of horizontally scrolling shooters In this game, you can take multiple hits. When you're hit, you immediately go into like a danger mode in which if you get hit while in that mode, you're done. But if you can avoid being hit, then you'll get your health back, but you'll get one tick less than you had before. And so you lose the game by either losing all of your health or by getting hit while you're in danger mode. And Greg Gates' special ability is that he recovers from danger a little bit faster than the other two pilots. But yeah, it, it's an interesting mechanic. It, for a game that is as tough as UN Squadron is, it's nice to sort of have that little that little bit of mercy built into it. Yeah, I feel like that makes this game feel a lot more approachable than like uh, Gradius 3, for example, which we've already talked about on this show. You certainly can die very quickly in this game, but you do have that ability to kind of cheat death over and over again. And upgrades to your your ship that you get from collecting power-ups during the levels, those do carry over between lives if you die. You're not going to go back down to just, like, your your most the most minimal version of your basic attack uh, when you die. So that's, that's a nice thing as well. Right, and I think you even get to keep the money from missions that you, you lose? You do, yeah. So you can just buy... Uh, additional weapons when you go before you go back into the level. Another thing that I really like about this game is the visuals. All the characters look fantastic. They really give this game a sense of personality that a lot of scrolling shooters at the time wouldn't have had. And even though not a lot of Americans probably would have been familiar with Area 88 on which this is based, the characters still just kind of exude 
a lot of personality and they just look cool and it's it's just an it, it's really nice set dressing for this game. Absolutely. I love how bright and readable everything is as well. It's always very easy to see where everything is in the levels, what's going to hit you and what isn't. I love that you get like a portrait of the character you're playing as in the faux bar at the top of the screen. I think the music's really good too. You know, this has a a soundtrack from uh, Minami Matsume. She was the composer for, among uh, many other things, the original Mega Man. Clearly, we think pretty highly of this game. Um, Is is there anything else we need to talk about that we forgot about with this one? The structure of the game is a little different in the Super Nintendo version versus the arcade version in a way that I do think also adds to kind of the richness of the game. It's a little bit more like, um, almost a little bit more like Bionic Commando or something, where you're kind of selecting your next level off of a map as various enemy units are kind of getting closer and closer to your base. Instead of the game just being like, level one, level two, level three. There's a lot more little things that kind of break it up here. And I think that just overall speaks to how much work Capcom put into really reimagining this game as as a console game. I didn't even realize that this was a port of an arcade until somewhat recently. I just assumed this was made for the Super Nintendo. It really just, it runs that well. It, it looks that good. Yeah, I think that speaks really highly for it. And yeah, I, I think this game's great. I do too. And so... I guess it's time to look over at the list. We've got 13 games on the list. Super Mario World at number one, the Chess Master at number 13. So I'm looking pretty high here. So like our top five are Super Mario World, F-Zero, SimCity, Gradius 3, Super R-Type. We've got two shooters right in there, and I think this is better than both of them. I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. I think this game is probably better than SimCity. In some ways, this game is in a slightly similar position to SimCity, where it is a game that previously existed on other platforms that was pretty heavily reimagined Mm -hmm. for the Super Nintendo. But I think it is also much better suited to the Super Nintendo than SimCity in the best of cases, which I, I think that Super Nintendo version of SimCity is sort of the best of, of cases for that, could possibly. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, SimCity is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I think this is an easier sell to most people, and I think that, like, I, I just think this game is better. No, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I think this is a really good game, and I think that, you know, it's now worth talking about whether this is a better game than F-Zero. I think I would rather play UN Squadron than F-Zero. I think it's got more going on. I think it's got really clever design choices that, you know, are are very progressive and intelligent. And I think that I agree with you. I think this is this is our new, at least our new number two game. Do you want to have a discussion about Super Mario World or is this where it starts? I mean, this, UN Squadron is a fantastic game, but I don't think it can top Super Mario World for me. I, I don't know. Do, do you think it does? No, I don't think so either. Um, I, I want to leave space every time for the possibility that something is going to be, you know, in that conversation. Oh, yeah. But I don't think this is a better game than Super Mario World. Yeah, UN Squadron at number two. So uh, congratulations, UN Squadron. Yeah, uh, I have a feeling you're going to be there for a little while. Well, Well, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the year goes. We are now two months into the Super Nintendo's library. That was actually the last game released in, uh, what is it, September? So we're heading on into a new month. Uh, we're heading on into October. You know what that means. That means it is time to turn it over to Newsy. It's 
October 1991, Curly Sue, starring Allison Porter and Jim Belushi, releases in theaters and would make over $33 million. Emotions by Mariah Carey hits number one on the charts and would happily remain there for three weeks. And despite allegations of sexual harassment by a former aide, Clarence Thomas is confirmed to the Supreme Court. Happy Halloween and back to you, Eddie Zero and Steampunk Link. Thank you, Newsy. Curly Sue, that that was a movie that came out. Apparently, I don't actually remember that one. Um, I, I remember seeing commercials for it, but that's about it. I know I've never seen it. I know nothing about it other than it stars uh, at the time child actress Allison Porter, who I presume has gone on to do other things. I, I think I heard, I think I read on Wikipedia that she's a singer or something now, but I, I don't know. Well, speaking of singers, I definitely remember Mariah Carey's Emotion. That's the one that has what I think might have been like the first instance of Mariah Carey hitting that like kind of extended high note. Uh, some people love it. Some people uh, actually can't listen to that because it hurts their ears. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good song. Uh, you know, it was a big, big pop hit for the time. It's funny. So, it's actually yeah. one of the Mariah Carey tunes I don't quite remember all that well, but uh, I don't know. Maybe it was uh, just a little bit before I was super paying attention to that sort of thing. Clarence Thomas. Uh, we even need to talk uh, about l- that. L- luckily, yeah. the, the only time we'd have to worry about a, a potential sexual predator on the Supreme Court, I'm sure. Oh, oh wait a minute. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. boy. Okay. Hey, let's stop talking about that yeah, now and talk yeah. about something also bad, but not quite as bad as... Uh, the state of the Supreme Court right now. It's, it's bad in a way that uh, is fun to talk about. It's Ultraman, everybody. It's Ultraman for the Super Nintendo. Specifically, it's Ultraman towards the future because uh, he's he's moving to- towards. Yeah. I guess we're we're all really moving towards the future all the time, aren't we? I mean, we we can't really. Yeah. But he he's moving he's moving towards the future by getting much bigger in size as he goes along, which is better than you know he's he's getting tall. This do you think boy, you you so, you move you know. towards the future faster than other people when you're growing? Do you, do you think that? I mean, probably a little bit because you are you know you're extending in in space as well as time. So you know, okay, yeah, I'm sure that I guess time definitely feels like it goes a lot um slower when we're kids like like now it just feels like things just happen and interestingly it also feels like time is going slower when you're playing ultraman towards the future <laughs> because it's a pretty boring game it's not good uh so this was developed by bec or uh, bondi entertainment company which i believe was a some kind of joint venture between bondi and human company which is the okay. company behind things like SOS yeah. and uh, Clock Tower. Yes, and I, I think, am I right that Human is also folks that first came up with the Fire Pro series, the Fire Pro Wrestling series? You know what, that sounds right. I think that's right. You know, it's interesting. I looked up BEC, and we were doing research for this episode, and they have a bunch of game credits, but they're all just like various anime properties from Bandai. I don't really know anything about like this as like a development studio or like how consistent like the staff was for any of these games. Like if it was like actually the same people working on any of them. So we're talking about Ultraman. So this was based on a TV series. So Ultraman... Uh, is a popular Japanese television character. He has been 
featured in series dating back all the way to the 60s. Uh, some of which have actually come out in the West. There is a, a dubbed version of the original Ultraman series that was on TV in, I, I think, in the 70s. There's been a lot of these, though. This is a tokusatsu series, which, if you're not familiar with that, uh, it is men in suits fighting basically uh you know this is this is the same genre that includes the super sentai uh aka power rangers common writer uh, you know all of that kind of stuff it's a little bit kind of godzilla like too yeah right? it is like, it is very people godzilla-like. dressing up in monsters fighting as well right exactly yeah you know ultraman in particular there's uh, a character who is basically ultraman's human regular sized analog who's uh, usually in the the fictional Ultraman, like a a regular human that's bonded with this alien entity called Ultraman who's here to save the Earth. And when the monster appears, the monster's giant, and he turns into Ultraman and becomes giant to fight the monster. And that's more or less the situation we have here in the Towards the Future game. Uh, You are depicted as, you know, full-size giant Ultraman fighting monsters from this particular Ultraman series. And uh, so this game came out in the West partially, I I guess, because the series was like an Australian-Japanese co-production, right? Yeah, it was the first Ultraman series to be produced outside of Japan. And it was, I think, trying to sort of branch Ultraman into a more Western audience. What's interesting about this is that the game came out in October of 91, according to you know our research anyway. Uh, the series actually wouldn't air in the U.S. until January of 92, so it was actually kind of jumping the gun a little bit. Uh, but the series would not be successful, and uh, neither would this game. And I can't speak to the quality of the series, but the game is just a bad game. Yeah, so this is a one-on-one fighting game. But you can only fight as Ultraman. You don't get to select different characters, which was still kind of... I mean, it wasn't a new concept in fighting games. Um, So I actually did some research on that as well. The first fighting game to feature selectable characters actually came out in, you guessed it, the 80s, 1985, uh, to be specific. Um, It was called Galactic Warriors. It was made by Konami. That was actually the first game where you had uh, selectable characters with unique movesets in a one-on-one fighting type game. So the concept had been around for a while. Street Fighter 2 would be released uh, just a few months earlier this year, uh, by which I mean 1991. It's not like the concept wasn't around. It just wasn't something that they, I guess, felt they needed to do for this game. But that's not even the worst part about this. Do you want to talk about like what some of the things that are really bad about this game? Okay, so basically, there's a very specific way in which you have to fight these monsters. Ultraman has punches and kicks, he also has some special moves, and you have a special move meter that fills up over time. And at each level of the meter, you have a different move available. Using that move kicks the meter back down. But the important thing is that the only way to finish off a monster, once you've fully depleted its health bar is to let the meter charge up to the most powerful move and use that. And if you don't do that, then the monster regenerates some of its health and the fight goes on. This is, I think, just kind of a dreadful way to design a fighting game because it means there's only one way that you can finish any of these fights and it really kind of locks you into having to play in a very boring way if you want to progress in this game at all. Honestly, this is a bad idea even on paper. If somebody just explained the mechanics of this, that like, hey, there's going to be a special meter that keeps filling up that you have to have full to 
execute your ultimate attack when the enemy has no health left, I would say, well, why would anyone ever use any of their special moves? Because they know they're going to need that meter to finish the fight. And that is what happens. You never end up using your special moves. It makes the game horribly unbalanced, and, and it feels unfair, and it's not fun. Ultraman has a few cool gymnastic moves that he can perform to kind of avoid attacks, like he can backflip and stuff. But other than that, you're really in a completely one-sided fight against these monsters, and just getting frustrated over the fact that as you're whittling them down, you have to time it just right. You have to make sure that you've got a full special meter and that you've gear shifted your special move yeah, to right. the level four move. Yeah, because that's because that's the other thing is that there's actually a pretty tight window of time in which you can use that move to finish off the monster. And if you don't hit that, you've got to do it again, basically. And it, it feels bad. Yeah, and making things even worse, I don't even think the monster goes into like a stun state no. to give you an opportunity to use that attack when you've depleted its health. Every aspect of this is designed in the least appealing and most frustrating way it could be, given what they've got to work with here. I don't get it. I don't get why they did this. If you listen to our explanation of these controls and thought, why did they do that? We thought the same thing the entire way through we were playing this. All of the mechanics aside, it doesn't control particularly well. It's very stiff. Yeah, it's very stiff and slow. The graphics aren't anything terribly memorable some of the monsters look okay some of the monsters look real silly but that might be more a testament to the monsters from the show yeah i think everything basically looks how it's supposed to it's just not well animated it doesn't really have much personality this game doesn't have much content and what's there is actively bad and that's i think really the first time i can say that about a game we've played for this show. Yeah, I mean, we've been saying for a while that we don't have a bad game on this list yet, but this is a bad game, and seeing as how it is a bad game on a list of not bad games, I don't think there's any question as to where it's going to be going. Nope. Say hello to the number 15 spot, Ultraman Towards the Future. Ultraman Towards the Bottom, more like it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so was there anything else you wanted to say about this one, or should we... uh, No, that's really it. I don't have anything else to add. That's two extremes right there for our first two licensed games, coincidentally enough. So this was actually, as far as we know, the only game released in October of 1991. So we're actually going to have Newsy doing double duty here for us today. November 1991, Beauty and the Beast hits theaters, makes over $145 million, and would go on to be the first animated film nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. There's Cream on the charts, Cream by Prince and the New Power Generation, that is. And Magic Johnson and Freddie Mercury would both make public their diagnoses of HIV and AIDS, respectively. Tragically, Mercury would succumb to his disease the very next day. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. Okay, so so big a big movie came out this month. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this one I absolutely remember seeing in theaters. I, I remember just thinking this was great right from the off. And uh, even my dad liked it, actually, which he didn't really like musicals or Disney movies at all. Yeah, a really great movie, really great cast. I didn't actually see this in the theaters. But you were a kid in the 90s, so I'm sure you watched it on video. My little sister was at the age that like she could watch the same movie over and over again. More so than once, right? Beauty and the Beast was on our TV a lot. I, I remember reading something about, like, Angela Lansbury even questioning, like, am I the right person to be singing this song? But then, like, nailed it in one take. That is incredible. It's, like, this one of the most, like, iconic Disney songs ever. And she just, she, she just killed it. Like, that's amazing. 
Prince and the New Power Generation's Cream. Good song. wouldn't say it's one of my absolute favorite Prince songs, but it is a good one. And I always kind of forget that it's a song he did in the 90s. I always think of it as, as like one of the things from like his big run of hits in the 80s. Again, another one I'm not terribly familiar with. I was just, I was not quite into the music scene yet for whatever reason. Well, actually, because uh, we, we had some overly religious people in our parents' friend circles who dissuaded anyone from watching MTV. So that was part of the problem. Yeah. Religion, not even once, kids. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, the, uh, Magic Johnson and Freddie Mercury. I did not know that both of those announcements came out in the, the same month. Nor did I, yeah. And uh, sadly, uh, yeah, Freddie Mercury would die the very next day and magic johnson would go on to uh host the magic johnson show i think or is it just the magic show uh i think it was i think it was the magic johnson show but no i mean i'm I'm very glad that that magic's health has has remained good and that you know he was able to get treatment that you know has has really allowed him to to stay healthy not to bring the conversation way down but seeing how well magic johnson has done since then, it really makes you realize the impact of the research and everything that went into the uh, treatment of HIV, you know, and, and what that can mean for people who have it. And, you know, like maybe if we didn't have certain people in our government back way back when, we'd still have Freddie Mercury is all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> anyway... Paperboy 2. Paperboy 2. Wow, what a transition there. Huh? Hey, 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 speaking of headlines, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paperboy 2. Paperboy 2 is a video game. And uh, boy, the main thing I want to say about this, I got, I have two things here. So... For one thing... I bet I know what one is, but go ahead. This game makes the most extreme use we have heard so far of the Seinfeld-style slap bass. (laughs) It is all (laughs) over this game's soundtrack. Like, oh man, if if you want to experience that sound, this is the game for you. The other thing is that this game came out on everything. This game is basically, if you had a machine that could even nominally run a video game in 1991, you could get Paperboy 2 for it. So here it is on the Super Nintendo, and it's fine. It's fine. It's a good sequel to Paperboy. It doesn't really stray much from that classic design. And when we played this, I went into it not really expecting much at all, but I thought this was kind of fun and charming. There's not much to it, but it is enjoyable, and it does have a lot of cute little, like, visual gags. Yeah. It is possible you might not have ever played Paperboy or this game. Basically, Paperboy is sort of an auto-runner newspaper delivery arcade game. An arcade game that came out in, you guessed it, the 80s! 1985, to be precise. Yes. You're the paper boy or the paper girl in this game. That's kind of cool. They added that as an option. Yeah. You go through neighborhoods uh, that are full of wacky stuff, you know, alligators and sewers, haunted houses that have uh, have have Draculas in them, castles with moats and stuff. Gargoyles that shoot freaking lasers at you. You're just trying to deliver papers. You're just trying to deliver papers. You have to throw the papers at doorsteps and mailboxes to get points. You have to avoid obstacles so you don't die. And eventually, all the 
levels have kind of a challenge area that ends the the level. Uh, I didn't know this until I was looking up some information about the game. Apparently, each level has sort of like a specific thing you can do at the midpoint to get extra points that'll be reflected on the newspaper you see at the end of the level. It'll be like, you know, if you did it, it's like, Paperboy saves falling baby. And that's kind of the game but it's a, it's a fun zany little game it is a little bit hard to get into the controls are a little bit wonky at first it's it's a different kind of thing oh i don't know if i mentioned this is was uh, developed by tengen who uh are most known for doing all those uh, unlicensed cartridges on the nes back in the day and published by uh, mindscape who uh, also did uh, the chess master from last episode i believe yes that's right yeah You know, honestly, I don't really have very much to say about this game because I don't really think there's that much going on here. Like, what there is is pretty good, but it's a very minimal sort of game, really kind of by design. You know, when I uh, think about games that are fine, when I look at this list, the one that jumps out at me immediately is Hyperzone, which is sitting right now at number 12 out of 15. Uh Uh-huh. I I think that might be a good place to start. You think this is better than Hyperzone? I don't know. If it's a, I don't know if I'd say it's a better game than Hyperzone. I think it's on a pretty similar level. I think it's probably more successful as an overall design than Hyperzone is. But that's also partially because this is a very on-brand sequel to a successful game that already existed, whereas Hyperzone was trying to do something a little new and different. Hyperzone was certainly more ambitious. Yeah. You know, I would say, I, I think I would honestly put this behind Hyperzone, just because I think I would want to play them both for about the same length of time, but I think Hyperzone is a lot more visually interesting, and I think that there's just a little bit more in the way of obvious effort going on there than there is with this. Mm -hmm. The next one down, then, is Super Bases Loaded at number 13. What do you think about that matchup between this uh, Paperboy 2 and Super Bases Loaded? I think this is probably... I probably would prefer this to Super Bases Loaded just because I think that there's some stuff about Super Bases Loaded as a baseball game that doesn't quite do it for me. Yeah. This is working in a pretty narrow lane, but it's working there pretty well. Yeah, I I think I'm okay with that. So this will be our new number 13 between Hyperzone and Super Bases Loaded. Sounds good to me. Okay, I think I'm good with that. Paperboy 2 now sitting at number 13. I hope Newsy's okay with that. I I wonder if they know each other. I don't know. I mean, he's never mentioned... Paperboy, so he's never you know. mentioned having friends in the industry, so I'm yeah. gonna say probably, probably not. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, so that's that's Paperboy two. Um, again, it's fine. That's a quote you can put on the box. Paperboy two, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got one more game for today. It's John Madden football. Here it is. It's John Madden football. football. It's And this is a series that has continued unabated right into the modern day. This is a pretty early installment in the Madden franchise. This was Madden before Madden had the NFL or the NFL Players Association licenses, which is nuts to think because now Madden is all there is for football. Yeah, they've got that one locked down. Now all football is Madden John Spartan. (laughs) (laughs) It won the football wars. 
Uh, <laughs> they won the football one. They really did, though. So it's really interesting, though, to look at this game and just see the generic team names. It's not even team names, right? It's just cities and no player names. Purely conceptual football game, essentially, aside from the existence of, of John Madden as, like, kind of the... Uh, the mascot? <laughs> mascot, I guess. He talks to you when you're selecting your teams. He gives you gives you info about what the teams are, are good and bad at before you start playing. And, uh, yeah, so there's some interesting history with this one. And uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit before we talk about this particular John Madden football game? What you were saying, though, about uh, John Madden kind of telling you about the different teams, I don't know if that was supposed to make a backdoor reference to the actual teams in the NFL at the time. I cannot be bothered to do that kind of research, but the kind of research I will do on the John Madden football series itself, which is kind of the reason why EA exists. Trip Hawkins, who was the founder of EA, was really into this game called Stratomatic, which my understanding of it is it's basically like a tabletop role-playing D&D type game, but it's football instead of going on a fantasy adventure. I had no idea this existed. This is really... Yeah, neither did I. When you told me about this, this is really interesting to Well, me. one of the reasons we probably didn't know about it is that it was not very popular because it was kind of complicated to play. And so Trip always imagined, what if you could unload all of that onto the computer, let the computer handle that for you? That was the inspiration behind the first uh, Madden game. Uh, the idea was to kind of make a simplified uh, football game, but when Madden got involved, he was all like... Well, it better be 11 on 11 or else it's not real football. If it's not real football, I don't want my name on it. Wow, that was so good. Is John Madden in the room? Yeah, That's everybody, uh, please welcome John Madden. <laughs> 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 but anyway, so the very first Madden game, uh, it took a long time to develop because of Madden's insistence on having an 11 on 11 football game happening. Uh, the tech for that wasn't quite there yet, so it wouldn't be until, you guessed it, the 80s, 1988 to be precise, uh, when the first Madden game would come out on the Apple II. But uh, Madden, as it's known today, is mostly known as is starting on the Sega Genesis in 1990. Uh, in fact, when this game came out for the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, it was called John Madden Football 92 on the Sega Genesis because the Sega Genesis had already gotten its John Madden Football. And yeah, that's pretty much the story of Madden in a nutshell. It's it's kind of fascinating. It is really interesting, and it does help me kind of get my head around some of the aspects of this game that I found a little hard to grapple with when we played it, personally. So I don't know very much about football. Like, I'm just not versed in it, and this game has a lot of kind of moving parts to it, I would say, that don't really seem approachable for someone who is coming in kind of cold on this. And on the one hand, I sort of wish it was a little bit more, not even necessarily abstracted, but if just like the the reasons why certain certain systems in this work the way they did was surfaced a little bit better so that I could understand it, I would like that. But at the same time, I don't know that I would ever have been the target audience for a game that is being sold on the basis of its its connection to a famous sports commentator. Uh, but, you know, like, it, it was the fact that he was a coach that really had EA sort of interested in getting Madden specifically, because, you know, he had written books about getting into football for the first time. Like, he had a real passion for teaching people the game. And So, and, so this is all stuff I didn't know. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, God, was Madden even a commentator? I feel so stupid if that's not the I, case. I, I, 
I'm going to say he probably was by this point, but I I am not entirely sure that that is the case. But he, he definitely okay. was a commentator. I apologize for knowing no, no. nothing about. Yeah. Okay. I apologize for knowing nothing about this sport or the people that play it. Uh, no, but, no, don't don't. It, yeah, but, it's but fine. that is interesting because this game does have you play essentially from even though you do directly control the players on the field once the game starts, it does basically have you playing from kind of like a coach's eye view. You know, you're selecting different plays. I got the sense when we were playing this that if I understood what was going on, this is actually a pretty effective and straightforward interface to play this this sort of football game with. But because I didn't know any of that stuff going in, it was very hard for me to understand what anything meant. I think it's a real shame that as somebody who was passionate about teaching the game to people and and making it approachable, that they didn't use the John Madden name to make a game like that. This game does not seem to have any interest in kind of onboarding new people into the game at all. Maybe some of that was in like the manual as well, which, you know, is a thing that was done a lot back then. But the other thing is that these console versions of the game do differ a lot from the Apple II version, which actually let you write the playbooks to some extent. Because these are on consoles and not computers, a lot of that stuff had to be taken out. It was just kind of more of an arcadey simulation rather than like a really in-depth, hey, I'm a real football nerd and I want to be really hands-on with all of this stuff. So, I mean, I I think overall the experience is pretty good. I'm, I'm somebody who knows a little bit about football, but not quite enough that I could just like pick up and play this game really effectively. But I think for somebody who is already kind of in that world, the, the playbook style of it, that all looks really good. It looks pretty deep. Obviously not quite deep enough to where you're writing your own playbooks, and that may be a turnoff for the kind of audience that would be attracted to a game like this in the first place. But it still seems like there's a lot of stuff here. It's presented well. It looks nice. Curiously enough, something we didn't see when we were kind of trying this game out is that if one of your players gets injured, an ambulance will drive onto the field, sometimes Ah. just plowing through other players. Oh, that's fine. But according to Wikipedia, uh, some people are complaining that they don't put that back in, and there's no way (laughs) that they're going to depict an actual NFL player getting run over by an ambulance. No, yeah. Yeah, I don't don't think that the Players Association is going to sign off on that. It's like, man, they're doing some really different stuff with the story mode this year, (laughs) huh? Yeah. I can equip grenades. That's weird, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hi. Just because I, I was I was not really able to get my head around how to how to play this game effectively. I don't honestly have that much to say about it beyond what I've already said. This just isn't our jam. It's not for us. And that's okay. I still kind of respect what it's going for here. And I think that this is probably the best representation of its sport that we have seen on the Super Nintendo thus far. W- would you say that's fair? I would say so. I think this is meeting people who are who are fans of the sport on their level and really just trying to trying to make a game for them. And I think it does that quite well. That being said, um, I think this obviously goes above Hal's Hole-in-One, which is currently at number 11 right now. Uh-huh. Number 10, we have Pilot Wings. Do you think that this is a better game than Pilot Wings? I, I think this probably benefits somewhat from being not the first iteration of its concept uh, versus Pilot Wings. It's tricky because on balance, even though I'm not a huge fan of Pilot Wings, I would rather play that game than this one, just because I am not 
really very interested in football. I kind of feel like maybe we just put this between Pilot Wings and House Hole in One. Like I, I just think, I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, like maybe this was just John Madden football that's testing the waters on the SNES, and you see something that's a little bit more impressive later on. I mean, again, you know, like if you're a football fan, there's probably still a lot to like here. Yeah, but I, I just don't think this quite gets past Pilot Wings. I agree. I agree. So, yeah, I'm comfortable with that placement for sure. Okay. So with that, uh, John Madden Football is our new number 11. And uh, we've got 17 games on the list now. Oh, man. Closing in on 20. You know, as the library starts to diversify more, we're kind of seeing what all these all these other companies are bringing to the table. I think that even even kind of the bad games like Ultraman kind of make the system's library richer. One of the things that's honestly kind of nice about a game as bad as Ultraman is that it puts other games that maybe are sort of in the middle of the pack in perspective. Right now, the bottom two are the Chess Master at 16 and Ultraman at 17, and there is a pretty sizable gulf in quality between those two things although i mean like the chess master there's not a lot to it it's very very simple it's good at what it's doing but it's doing basically nothing else i am excited to keep moving forward absolutely i'm enjoying looking at these early super nintendo titles just diving into that pool of nostalgia it's wonderful absolutely it is it is a it is beautiful thing what do we have to look forward to next time so next time we've got again we've got uh some high highs and some low lows. <laughs> We've got Darius Twin, or possibly Darius Twin. I'm not entirely sure how that's pronounced. Jeremy Parrish, I think, pronounces it Darius, and I always assume he's correct. So, <laughs> Bill Lamebeer's Combat Basketball. Oh, boy. Let's just say Ultraman's not going to be lonely for very long. Uh, then we've got Act Razor. All right. And, folks, we got a big one. Final Fantasy 2. Man, that is a big one. I mean, really, it and ActRaiser are both pretty notable games, and I think we're going to have a lot to say about both of those. It's going to be a pretty pretty meaty episode next time, and I'm looking forward to it. I hope you'll all join us here for the next episode when we get into those games. In the meantime, thank you all so much for listening, and until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 